Well, hello, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome to the Junkyard Media Group YouTube page for another edition of the Beyond the Junkyard podcast. Of course, you know me. I am Junkyard James. And beside me, I got my guy, K-Dog. How is it going, my friend? Howdy, y'all. Happy New Year to everybody. Hope everybody had a good season. Doing quite well. Hope everybody's doing well, boys, north, south, east, and Um, How was your New Year, Jamie? Man, it was it was uh, boring. I sat at home and watched the ball drop. Drunk a whole lot of hard cider, and uh, that's about all I did. All right, all right. Uh, I was a little sick over the weekend, um, so we just kind of chilled at home, watched the ball drop, kissed the wife, went to bed. That was my New Year's. You need some. You need some some vitamin D, my friend. You you'd be getting sick a whole lot. <laughs> So when you live with family, sometimes it happens, all right? But it's okay. I am here in living color. We are live as live can be. We are live on the air, brother. And we yeah. sure are. We sure are. Hey, wasn't there something happened over the weekend? I think there was. I could be wrong. There there was a, a pretty uh, important... There was a thing. There was a thing, right? I, I think they call them premium... I'm sorry, pay-per-view... Uh, this isn't that ah, company. Yes, uh, those yeah. things. <laughs> um, yes, yes, there was a, a pay-per-view, uh, AEW World's End. Uh, thank you to everybody who tuned into the channel to watch us uh, watch it live. Uh, that was that was fun. Um, before we break down some of the, the big pieces that we can bring into let's just get a couple housekeeping things out of the way uh as you see in the title of the episode we're doing a q a at the end here we got a couple questions from our discord but if you have any other questions that you want us to talk about as we progress through the end of the show feel free to leave them in the chat big thing go to junkyardmediagroup.com you can find all of our social medias there subscribe to all of the podcasts that are on there and as 2024 progresses, we are going to do our best to update that blog section regularly, as regularly as possible. Um, I think that's about all that we need to talk about there. Let's let's break it down. Um, first question we'll ask about World's End is, overall, you had a couple days to think about it now. What's your <laughs> overall impression of AEW World's End? I think that it was a solid show. Some interesting decision results overall. Um, Wants or progressed storylines throughout the show. Um, I was probably wasn't their best pay per view ever, but it certainly wasn't their worst. Um, if I had a Scaled on a one to a ten, I'd probably say a seven and a half, close to an eight. But overall, it was a pretty decent show uh, from start to finish. Yeah, I I tend to agree. I, I I think I put a tweet out there on my personal Twitter um, account that said it wasn't 
it wasn't AEW's best pay-per-view of at least 2023. And, and if I had to rank all of 2023, it probably ranks near the bottom. But 2023 was just – they had so many good pay-per-views. But compared to some of the stuff that, like, WWE put out, like, that – it was a really good show. To me, it was, like, a B-minus pay-per-view. And if that's, like, one of the worst pay-per-views that AEW – puts on in the year like and it's a b minus or a c plus i mean i think you're, you're doing a, a damn good job with your pay-per-views there um agree with that just just um a couple big points that i want to bring it up and then we'll, we'll kind of lead into where we think uh, storylines may be going let's talk about um that the ending of that christian cage and adam copeland match the, the booking there was weird. So on the pre-show, Killswitch wins the contract. I guess it was kind of like the money in the bank type thing where he has an opportunity to just cash in a contract. My assumption, they didn't make it clear that it was like a contract one. It sounded like when they described it that the winner would be the number one contender at a future event. That's kind of my assumption of it at that point. Turns in it was just like some contract that could be signed at any time, any place. And uh, when we get to the end of the match and, and uh, Adam Copeland beats Christian Cage. Killswitch comes out in the aftermath. Looks like he's getting ready to sign the contract and turn it in. And Christian somehow persuades him to give Christian the, the contract. Christian signs it and becomes a two-time TNT champion. I wasn't a big fan of this. I'll let you speak first before I give my thoughts. Boy, if this doesn't have like Memphis style booking all over it, uh, this has got a double J Jeff Jarrett ring to it. Um, to be honest with you, I, I I don't hate it. It's a much different finish than I think we've seen in a, in a while. It's something different, and I'm always going to applaud. Maybe maybe applaud to uh, too strong of a word. I'm always going to appreciate the fact that when people tr- companies try to do things differently, I may not love them, may not like them, may not hate them. Um, but in, in a day and an age where being original is so difficult, I feel like AEW, and it's probably not an original idea by any means of the imagination, but it was different. It was something different. We weren't expecting it. It was something that kind of came out of left field. It made sense, though, for the fact that, um, you know, Killswitch came in. We think that he was getting ready to cash it in, sign the contract, you know, possibly win the TNT title, and then goes back to Christian, gives him the contract, and Christian becomes a technically two-time TNT champion. Um, It was an intriguing finish, one that, you know, if you you hated it, maybe that's the point of it because this is a heel group. The patriarchy is a heel group, and they did a heel finish, so maybe that's the point of it. And if you hated it, in a way... um, Certainly interesting. I didn't. I didn't hate it at first. I was like, "What is this cluster right now?" Uh, but I'm not gonna lie to you. If, if we get a Christian versus Copeland three at Revolution, all for it. But uh, we'll see kind of how this sorts in the next couple months as we are on the road to Revolution. So I don't necessarily disagree. I understand from a perspective of the story and in terms of booking, like it makes sense on where they're going. Obviously 
I, I think at some point down the line, we'll, we we see the seeds planted for a kill switch uh, face turn. I guess it would be. Um, he's going, you know, to get get um, get one on uh, Christian Cage at some point in in time. My assumption would be is Jack Perry would have some some play in that. And I know we've played the Jack Perry Christian Cage thing for quite a while, but I don't think we have to. He's doing in his free time. The same. What's in for Playgirl or something? Man. Just... <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but. I don't. Th- I don't think the execution of it was absolutely um, perfected, and I kind of agree here with with Wavy D, DJ Wavy D. They ended Christian's title reign, which I'm not necessarily a. Pro- I don't necessarily have a problem with ending Christian's title reign, but it made Kill Switch look dumb. And, and I and I thought about it this this afternoon when I was coming up with like segments of how we're going to break down this show. Damian Priest holds the uh, Money in the Bank contract in WWE. You you won't see Finn Balor or J.D. Madonna or Dominic Mysterio take that briefcase from them and, and cash in themselves because it's supposed to be Kill Switch's contract. And, and it made Kill Switch look, look, look dumb. It, 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 I think it was a great idea, and I understand it from a story perspective, um, but I don't think it was executed the best way that it could have been. Um, Let me play devil's advocate. There, go ahead. Finish your thought. Yeah, I was going to say, at the same time, what does this do for Adam Copeland? Are we Obviously, we're going to have probably another three months with him and Christian Cage working together, leading up to maybe Revolution. If that, maybe so. I don't know exactly what the direction of that will be. But you, you... you give Adam Copeland probably his biggest win in AEW just to immediately give him a really bad loss, I think, just losing the belt. And I, it, just in that that fashion, I, I just I'm, I wasn't a big fan of the execution. I understand the storyline. I think in another way, you make this, this pre-show match not mean as much as if even if they did the same thing, but on dynamite the next Wednesday, it would have made a little bit of more sense. Um, but uh, as it currently sits, Adam Copeland will be the shortest reign of the TNT championship officially at three minutes. Um, and Christian Cage is now a two-time title champion. Go ahead and play devil's advocate. We'll talk more about the devil later, but play devil's advocate. So the, I'm going to at the end of what you just said there with the shortest title reign. Uh, for the TNT title, you know, minus me bring this up just because as soon as you said that, it automatically made me think this. But before this, I didn't think of this. Sheamus has one of the shortest title reigns in history, right? At three minutes and 16 seconds or something like that. And, uh, or Roman does. Somebody's got a minute title reign in the last 10 years. But we don't really talk about that because it's been years down the road not really relevant anymore. Nobody really cares. And then this will probably be the same way down the road. Probably nobody will pay attention or care until you bring up short title reigns. This will probably pop up. I would imagine Copeland had a lot to do with um, it's his character. And I think he's just having a lot of fun. And remember, he only debuted in, in 
October. We're only a few months into this Adam Copeland in AEW tenure. And the obvious line of him and Christian had to happen. It's happening. It's probably going to culminate at Revolution. All fine and dandy. And we move on. Uh, but they've had banger matches. And I think they're going to have one more in the trilogy. It's probably going to be a gimmick matches, whether it's each match, whether it's a um, ladder match, which that would be uh, apropos given their history. Um, so I think that's fine. Did it make Kill, Kill Switch look dumb? Yes. I think that's the point of it. And this is why I say, let me play devil's advocate here for a second. When Christian technically, or Killswitch technically won the TN title, Christian ripped it off, ripped off of him, and they didn't really call Luchasaurus or Killswitch the TNT champion. Or if they did, he never had a title around his waist. And then they magically just kind of just pushed it off onto Christian and Christian champion. Because he's a patriarch. He's a father. So that made Luchasaurus, Killswitch look dumb already. Having this happen, does it make him look dumb? Yes. But if you recall, whenever Killswitch gave him the contract, Christian whispered something in his What is it that Christian, what dirt does Christian have on Killswitch that we don't know about? How is he able to control this monster that we just don't know about? And this is reminiscent to me, and this is probably another Jeff Jarrett idea, and, and, and I'm not saying it's bad, but this is reminiscent of the Abyss storyline from 2006-2007 with James Mitchell. Jim Mitchell. James Mitchell um, was the manager of Abyss in TNA from like 05 to 08. And for the first couple of years, it was just a, a monster heel. James Mitchell was a mouthpiece because Abyss didn't talk. And then the Sting storyline came about where you know, Sting was like, hey, James Mitchell is, is using you as a puppet. You're a puppet. You're your own man. You need to be free. And then involved in a line to where Chris Parks killed his father. He was in jail. And James Mitchell bailed, bailed him out of jail and whatever the case may be. But that was the secret the whole time. And that's how James Mitchell got a hold of Abyss was because time Abyss was about to break free, James Mitchell would whisper something in his ear because he had that secret. And maybe that's something that we're, we're just not known yet as to why Christian has such a control under Kill Switch and why he makes him look so dumb in these situations. But he obviously has something on him. And um, maybe that's the point of it is we've already seen that happen before. So they're continuing with that, but it is an interesting booking is an interesting decision. Um, was it a flawless execution? Probably not, but uh, just another side, uh, another side of the coin to kind of look at when we're looking at this, the storyline as it's evolving and developing. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm, one other, uh, I got a couple other things I want to kind of briefly get to in terms of worlds. And um, Eddie Kingston and John Moxley put on, a, I think, a fairly good match um, for the Continental Title. Um, that Continental Title gets defended on this Saturday's edition of AEW. Collision live from Bojangles Coliseum in Charlotte, North Carolina. We'll be there. We'll be watching that match live. He defends against Tremperetta of all people. Um, I know. I know. We all 
kind of saw the writing on the wall that Eddie wins this and, and the Continental title, I think is going to be a fun championship that Eddie can kind of defend over time. Um, I just, to me, looking looking at it now, it's just I understand the, that this is a, a like a cool belt that maybe they can run a Continental Classic every year, and and you know that that belt's up for grabs at the end of at, at the at the end of that tournament every year, kind of like the uh, G One Classic is for um, New Japan. I just, in my opinion, uh, I guess the question I want to ask is. Due to the success of the men's Continental Classic, do you think AEW, and this kind of draws into the fact that the women's division is getting larger, do you think they should do a women's version of the the C-cubed? C-squared or whatever it is, C2? Yeah, I agree. They they absolutely should. Um, You can bring in – you know, I mean, the tournament wasn't even – like the Cruiserweight Classic or the May Young Classic, where they brought in a bunch of different outside talent into the into the tournament. AEW just had a vast roster and a deep roster and used them for the Continental Classic. And I think you could do the same thing with the women's. You have such a vast roster that maybe you don't have to use just solely AEW talent. We bring in some of the ROH girls. And if you want free agent here and there, if you want to, you can. But there's only, what was there, 12 people in the tournament total? Um, I think he's six in each league. I, you got 12 women. You can easily do this tournament. Yeah, um, I think, uh, and, and I agree. I think there's a way some of these women that are really great, but haven't had a lot of time. People like Mariah May, uh, uh, Deanna Perrazzo is now there. It'd be a great way to display Mercedes Monet. If she were to show up in AEW sometime here soon. Um, people like Anna J that seem to like get time, but not a whole lot of like time to show themselves. That's why they deserve time. And it's, it would be just a great way to showcase the women's division every single week on every single show. Cause it seems like here, here the past several years now, the women's division, it's there, but it's not there at the same time. I think having a women's version of the continental classic would be just such an awesome thing to display some of the women that maybe don't get a whole lot of time. Maybe that could be the way that Jamie Hayter returns or the way that Britt Baker comes back is that they're entering themselves into this tournament and they're going to work their way through and, and you get it. And as, as much as I hate that we're going to, we have, we would have to add an additional title to an already loaded title company. There's so many championships in AEW, probably too many, I think for the women's division, we need an, an extra title um, more than the men would need an extra title. So whether that is a tag team, women's tag team belt or a, the women's continental classic belt, something there that um, can allow the women to, that aren't maybe in the main picture, the Tony storms of the world to kind of still have their, their moment. Um, and I, the way that I see a picture, if, if they did it the way that I would like, uh, would do it, would you have the Continental Classic run for the women run through the summer and end at all in London again, and you have someone like Mariah May or someone that's English, Jamie Hayter, uh, that is from that area, win the title at that point in time and get that big pop. 
um, to make up for the mistake of having Soraya win the AEW title at All in London last year. Um, <laughs> just a, that's, that was just the thought I had of like maybe they could do the same thing for the women and they can easily come up with twelve or sixteen women on the um, that they can use. And like you said, they could use some of someone like Athena who isn't seen on um, AEW television, but is seen on Ring of Honor television. It would be great to see her weekly on AEW TV. Um, yeah, then, either do the um, either do the tournament. You could do that all in London and make it a really big deal and on a bigger stage for AEW. You could do it at Forbidden Door if they continue with that. Uh, if you make it kind of a Continental Classic type of thing, you bring more of the, um, you know, have to bring the New Japan or Stardom gals in, but that'd be another way to do. But either way, I think that they should do it, and it it would really captivate and make some of the women that aren't shown more often shown and showcase her talents a little bit more and uh, do it like he did on dynamite and collision, just, you know, two different leagues, put them both on, you know, one primarily on dynamite, one primarily on collision. And um, you got to do what you do with the men's. You got to make it as stacked as possible to make it. Right. Cause I mean, you looked at yeah, it. Yeah. You can't, was, was you can't put like, you could easily win it. Right. You, you can't put like, Penelope Ford in there, and like you, you'll have to have a couple like really solid women, the Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter types, and stack them like you did, and then put in a couple young people like I can think like a, a Billy Starks or something like that, and maybe have like Eddie was the underdog story because he lost his first two matches and came back to win the whole thing. You'd have that underdog story with someone like a Billy Starks or, or an Anna Jay or someone. Um, maybe they don't win the whole thing, but they have that underdog story of like, we made it to the finals and then we lost to Britt Baker or Jamie Hayter or someone like that who's considered to be one of the best in the company. Um, right. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's Tony Khan. Hey, let me be. Let us be your your bookers for that, and and we'll we'll we'll, we'll get that going for you. Um, and then the last thing I want to kind of talk about leading it out of um, World's End, probably the biggest thing World's End related, is MJF loses the AEW championship. Adam Cole is revealed to be the devil with Wardlow, uh, Kyle, or not Kyle, uh, Roderick Strong, Matt Taven, and Mike Bennett as the masked men. I guess just kind of as quick as we can here, uh, something that kind of intrigued me. One is I I just wonder what the motivation for having certain people in this uh, faction is for. Um, Before we break down that, thoughts on Maxwell Jacob Friedman losing the belt, and also he was removed from the AEW roster page. Legit, is this legit? He hasn't signed anywhere yet. Is this a work? A little bit of both. How do you think they play that? I think that it is a work. I think that MJF will come back. Um, but if he does leave to go to WB, hey, he got me. Uh, Joe had a, had a good match, and I think MJF. Pretty banged up. 
and wasn't the best match he's ever had, but it was a, it was a good enough match. Joe winning um, is a testament to Joe and the belief that the company can put their faith in him and and he can put the promotion on his back and carry the world title and do a good job with it. So it's cool to see cool to see him get something that he has uh, earned and and hopefully he has a really good title reign. Um, was it shocking that Cole was a devil? No, but sometimes the things that are sometimes obvious are the right way to do it and are the right plans. Mm-hmm. Not that they executed it pretty well for the most part. Um, it's just a matter of now, where do we go from here with this group? And um, I thought that they did a really good job on Dynamite with planting the seeds for potential stories and how this is kind of going to be kicked off. And um, yeah, I thought overall it was a good, it was a good execution, made sense. And um, now it's just a matter of when does MJF come back? Does he get an automatic title shot? Does he need to build his way back up? And uh, how well does Joe do with his title reign uh, going forward now? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I agree with you. Um, it wasn't shocking per se. Like I uh, I came in thinking that Samoa Joe was going to win the match, um, and as much they they executed the entire storyline so well that when Adam Cole was revealed as the devil, you still didn't think that it was going to be him until they revealed it was him. Um, and I agree. Dyn- the, the segment on Dynamite um, last night was fantastic. And it sp- sparked seeds for already. I don't know how long the storyline is. They're planning on letting it go. They've already planted seeds for Wardlow maybe to turn on Adam Cole. And I love that, that they've already planted that seed. And Cole said, when I'm back and I'm healthy, Wardlow's just going to give me the belt. And and that's what kind of made me think, like, what's the motivation of every character that's in what's called the Undisputed Kingdom? Um, what is their motivation for joining it? Real quick, let's, uh, let's answer this question. Is Joe going to be a transitional champion? There's a that's possibility... A um, there's a possibility that he is. I think he has a very good long, maybe a six to eight month title reign. I don't, I, I see either Hangman, Adam Page, Will Ospreay, or Swerve Strickland as the next champion. And as of yet, it seems like Swerve and Hangman are fighting each other. And Ospreay hasn't officially joined AEW officially in an official capacity. He's, I don't think his contract with New Japan's up until the end of February, which is why everyone's thinking he's his first appearance as an AEW wrestler will be Revolution at some maybe at some point. Um, but I don't know if you can call him transitional um, because I think he's still going to have a really good reign, and it's not going to be something where like he has a three-month title reign and loses it at the next pay-per-view just to push somebody in. I think I, I do think, though, it wasn't supposed to be Joe to win the, the belt originally. I think that the idea was going to be for 
the devil to be revealed at um what was the pay-per-view before world's end was that wrestle dream full gear full gear uh it was going to be adam cole unfortunately he got hurt and so they had to delay it a little bit i think adam cole was supposed to be revealed as the devil at full gear and adam cole was going to take the belt off of mjf originally at world's end i think that's what the original story was going to be um i don't have any insider knowledge to say that that's true or not that's just kind of my opinion that they had to play around a little bit um but i i think joe deserves a title run and i I don't i can't say off the top that he'll be um transitional um but let's go motivation here it's easy to say what adam cole's motivation was for creating the whole thing he wanted to get back at mjf um because they they had a draw in that title match MJF wouldn't fight him for five more minutes. Adam Cole befriended him during that whole uh, tag team thing where they were made tag teams. And the story there is Max finally let his guard down and let somebody in and begotten a friend. And it ends up being that he's the person that stabbed Max in the back. So that's easy motivation to talk about. It's easy motivation to talk about why the kingdom wanted to join this feud because they wanted the ROH titles back. And well, they got the ROH titles back. It was super easy to say that Roderick strong. It's kind of easy to talk about why he's in this because he's Adam Cole's best friend. And they did a great job with Adam Cole spending those la- those three or four weeks at Roddy's house, um, showing the, the friendship of Roddy and Adam Cole, um, they did it in a way that made him think like Adam Cole is going to turn on Roddy. But in the end, I think you can say that those weeks at the house were where the plan was put together. So it brings us to Wardlow. And and what's Wardlow's motivation? He has no connection to Adam Cole. He has no connection to the kingdom or Roderick Strong. So what's his motivation? And I think he made his motivation clear. He wanted to get back at MJF. But how how long is Wardlow going to take being Adam Cole's second in command when he just got out of being MJF's second in command? And I think they planted that seed really well at End Dynamite on Wednesday. Let's say you. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, the look on his face when Adam Cole said, "Yeah, Wardlow's going to go after the AEW World Title, and then when I'm ready, he's going to just give it over to me." And his face was not. Uh, one that was particularly pleased at that uh, at that announcement of of the handing over of the championship. Right. And I think maybe Wardlow, which Wardlow was is the wild card, obviously in this whole group. You know, for 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 weeks and weeks, there were a few different people that were like, "MJF, I'm coming after you. I want the world title. I'm gonna take everything." Joe was one. Wardlow was one. Kenny Omega was one. Um, and it was like. And how do we get all this? And this was a, a reason for maybe why MJF may lose a title at the end at World's End or even the beginning of January if his contract came up and he didn't resign. All these people are gunning after him for the world title, so somebody's going to take it off of him, right? Because so many people want the the world title shot, and it was a way to be like he's got such a bullet on his back that he caved under pressure or he had too much pressure, uh, just gave out, lost the title, and then he just leaves the company. Um, I agree that it was probably going to be Cole to win before he got injured. And then they just said, you know what, let's just call an audible, have Joe win it for now, 
and um, unveil the devil, and we'll get to it when we get to it when we cross the bridge. I think Joe does stay as a champion for for you can tell double or nothing, or even at all in London. Um, but I think that <clears throat> Wardlow is obviously the, the seeds were planted with that, with him turning on on Cole and the Undisputed Kingdom. Um, he was the one that didn't get a world title with MJF. At least you know he didn't get a title shot as of now. Uh, Omega did, Joe did, Wardlow did not, and um, so that begs the question: If Wardlow does get a title shot and he wins it, is he actually going to turn over to Adam Cole? Is he going to be the Stooges like Killswitch is for Christian Cage? Um, obviously, he was going to get back at Max for all that he did to him, and not only was he the second in command for for MJF, but in the Pinnacle, same way. And in fact, he was just the big guy to to beat up everybody and just listen to MJF's commands. Is he going to be like that? Is he going to play? Is he, you know what? I've grown up smarter. I know where this is going, but I'm playing the part for now, going along to get along. And then when the time comes and he turns on them, maybe wins a world title, maybe wins a battle royal, a ladder match, something like that. And says, nah, I'm keeping this for myself. Um, Should be interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to see what happens with Wardlow and the whole group itself. Um, coming forward here to however many months, weeks, however long this goes for. Absolutely. A question here that we got is how far out is Kyle O'Reilly from being healthy? Uh, um, I thought he's been backstage for a while. Um, I don't know if he's ready to wrestle um, per se, but I've heard a lot of people say that the un- just having an uh, undisputed era reunion it would, would, it's what they wanted. The problem with that is Bobby Fish isn't under um, AEW contract, I don't think. So they couldn't have brought everybody back at this point. Um, and I think this is a great way to advance some storylines with people like Wardlow and Rod, Roddy. Roddy is saying to, he's going after Orange Cassidy's um, championship. And so that'll be a fun uh, build up there as well. Um, I'd like to see Undisputed Kingdom hold all the titles or as many as they can. Um, even if Cole is the world champion, you can have Wardlow as TNT champion, and Roddy as international champion, and the tag t- ROH tag belts are there. So I, I think there's a way that you can sh- really show them as a, a dominant heel faction. Um it's kind of sad that two of the biggest factions in the company are, are heel factions, Undisputed Kingdom and, and the Patriarchy. We need that big babyface faction to to kind of sh- uh, come into the picture. Uh, the sad part about it is is they're all either injured or heels at this point, and that's the elite. The Young Bucks are heels, um, and we haven't seen them in quite a while. Uh, Omega's hurt. Abushi's um, hurt. Yeah, so, I mean... It's it's uh. If you're getting, there's 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 a third faction that's a heel. Uh, there's actually an AW that are heels with the Mogul Embassy and uh, the Black Bull Combat Club. Yeah, so Tony Khan loves his heel groups, I guess. Um, and uh, so that that's something that I guess we'll have to look and see how that goes. I'm excited to see where the Undisputed Kingdom storyline progresses and leads to, and when Adam is able to wrestle that storyline with him and Wardlow. And maybe by that point, Max is back. Um, maybe Wardlow is 
Maybe the story could be Wardlow's playing Adam. Maybe MJF knew it was Adam. Wardlow's playing Adam, and he's helping his guy Max out when he officially comes back. I don't know where the story could lead. I think there's going to be a swerve somewhere down the line. Not a swerve Strickland, but a swerve. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm excited to see where that goes. Dynamite, now, the, it left a lot of development for characters. Um, and I and I loved it from that aspect. I didn't think it was like the most greatest show in the world. There were segments that I absolutely loved, like the Undisputed Kingdom. I've loved that uh, Mariah May had her first match. Her match was really good, pretty decent. Um, and then I loved the main event with Swerve and Daniel Garcia. Um, we had a we had a the women's division got a little little bit deeper. Diana Peraza shows up. Um, Everybody kept saying it was going to be Mercedes Monet. It made a lot of sense that it's Deanna Perrazzo, given that she's from New Jersey. They were in New Jersey. So just makes makes a little bit of sense from that point. Um, with Deanna Perrazzo, now all elite, does, does she immediately go to the front of the line and get a title shot? Or do you think they're just going to kind of play her the, the build your way up type of thing. Well, um, just sold off of what we saw last on Dynamite. Probably going towards the top since she's you know came in after Mariah May's in ring debut and Mariah's with Tony champion. So that naturally makes sense. Um, and if Tony were to fight Diana and lose the title at Evolution. Um, Tony won that title, I believe, at full gear. So it's a four, almost a four-month title reign. Wouldn't be bad, but I think the women's division in general um, needed a reset, and I think we're starting right. to get to that point now. Um, they had a couple segments on TV. Tony Storm had an interview. The Outcast had an interview. The match with Mark A, the debut of Deanna. So it's very good for the women to finally get a little bit of uh, – legs underneath them as far as a creative uh, story goes, storylines go. It's good to see that. Um, I, I'm not against Deanna going straight up to the top, but it would be nice for her to, to get a couple wins under her belt, wrestle a little collision or dynamite, maybe even rampage, just get a few matches underneath her, win some. That way it's like, okay, well, she's won a few matches here. She works, that makes sense. Let's Let's see what she's got against Tony um, and go from there. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm, I I said it about Riho, and I'll say it with Deanna. I love it, Deanna Perazzo, but I just, I'm not a fan of someone that we haven't seen before or haven't seen in quite a while, just instantly debut and get, automatically gets a title shot. I'd, I'd like to see some sort of progressive buildup, even if it's, even if the story build up to the title line is like, she won a number one contenders match because at least there's something going into it. Um, and yeah, so I'm excited to see Deanna Perazzo. There's a chance here in the next couple of weeks that Mercedes Monet, at least according to Sean Ross Sapp is basically a hundred percent confirmed to go to AEW unless something drastic happens. And she could debut as early as, this Saturday, I guess. Um, Sean Ross App did say that Mercedes Monet's debut 
will not be the only women's segment whenever she does debut. There will have multiple women's segments. So it seems like Tony's listening to everybody's opinion finally on the women's division and finally giving them a little bit more time. And I appreciate the hell out of that. Um, at least he's listening listen to people there. Um, I'm excited to see what the women's division can can come with. Um, and, and hopefully they can they can grow that there. Um, and then Swerve and Daniel Garcia put on an absolute great match. Um, and a- after the sh- after the show went off the air, Tony Khan. This is actually one of the questions I think in the Q and A section, but we'll go ahead and discuss it now. Tony Khan went out there and said, "You're going to see a whole lot of Daniel Garcia." And even today, I think they had an exclusive like behind the scenes interview on AEW social media channels with Daniel Garcia talking about what he's going to do in 2024. The question is, there have been rumors of Daniel Garcia leaving when his contract is up. So are, do we think he stays with AEW? I, I want to read the whole question in its entirety to make sure that we're, we're um, basing the question correctly. Um the the question was yeah uh what are our thoughts on tony trying to talk up daniel garcia especially with his contract coming up um i i I think he stays i think i think he's a he's perfect for aew he can be that that pro wrestling guy i think he can join the bcc if they want him to or he can just have the single run the work he's doing with like daddy magic as his like I don't know. Um, pep talk guy um, has been great. I, I I don't see him leaving AEW, um, and I think Tony Khan really sees a future with Daniel Garcia as the front. And he's a young guy that can fill fill a gap that's much needed in AEW. Yeah, first of all, let's uh, talk about Daddy Magic's commentary last night on Dynamite. I thought he was actually kind of a natural at that. So if the uh, the old wrestling gig doesn't work out to let the man work he, on commentary. He was doing commentary for Dark with, with Paul White, and he was great. And Or was it Dark Elevation maybe it was? One of the Dark shows before they canceled it. And he was awesome. I like his commentary. Uh, his New York accent. On Rampage or something. What are we doing? Yeah, it, it, um, we need something. <laughs> um, before I get to Daniel Garcia, I just – uh, they did have a great match, uh, Garcia and Swerve, last night, but uh to Darby Allen, that's pretty wild as well. Um, there was a couple times in that match that I thought Darby absolutely got killed. And uh, that Takeshita, one part where Takeshka like barrel rolled three times down the stage and then bodies are suplexed them. <laughs> that was great. That was pretty good. The German suplex off the top row, I think that was insane. When Darby went to dive inside the ring and Takesha put up his knee, he just Darby makes it look like it hurts so bad. And uh so that's definitely a good kudos to Darby. And I think Takesha is is well on his way up to becoming a really good star in the wrestling business. Um when it comes to Daniel Garcia, I <clears throat> I think he does resign or stay with AEW. To give him the best opportunity to showcase his skills as a professional wrestler, 
and not feel like he has to be a storyline based or uh, uh, um, sports entertainer. Um, right. I this is a very uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe it's a hot take. Maybe it's not. I think Daniel Garcia can be a blend between Brian Danielson and Chris Benoit. I don't mean that, obviously, for the outside the ring stuff, but um, the technical wrestling prowess that he has and the believability that he has, the intensity that he possesses, he, he's got to get a little bit bigger, yes. I don't mm-hmm. mean juice up on steroids type bigger, just, just get a little bit more built to his frame. He can be a blend between Danielson and Benoit. I mean, the guy can deliver a pretty decent promo. He looks like he can, he's legit. Like when he when you get into the ring with the guy, he's going to be. He's a great mat wrestler, great technician, executes well, um, but also can brawl a little bit and show that he can take a beating and, and take it and give it back. Um, so yeah, I think AEW is a perfect spot for him to showcase that. And uh, yeah. Uh, I'm interested to see what comes of 2024 for Daniel Garcia going forward. Absolutely. And I, I can't wait for Collision, not only because it's in our whole, our town of Charlotte, North Carolina, and we're going to be there live, and Sting and Darby Allen are fighting in a tag team match, and, and we get to see Sting fight. We're going to see Sting and wrestle twice in two months. How phenomenal is that? It's going to, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And we twice. get tri- – and we're going to get Trent Beretta versus Eddie Kingston. And I think that's going to be a good match. I disagree with Beretta winning the match. I think Brian Keith should have won. There's regional ties to Brian Keith in North Carolina, being that he works for DPW. Um, but that's just my opinion. Um, I'm not the booker. Um, and, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a good show. I, I FTR versus Malachi FTR Black versus from Buddy Matthews. Black that's going to be fun. That's going to be a fun match there. Um, so I, I think we're going to see some more storylines get built um, at Collision on Saturday. It's going to be a fun, rainy Saturday in Charlotte while we get to watch some good pro wrestling. And, and I'm excited to see where the future of the storylines go there. And then next Wednesday, Samoa Joe makes his first appearance since winning the title. And uh, are they in Jacksonville or somewhere in Florida? Yeah. Um, Jacksonville. Jacksonville, yeah. Um, and so we'll see Samoa Joe get to talk about winning the belt. And uh, I wonder what he's going to say about Adam Cole and then who gets the next title oppo. Um, and, and we'll see where that goes there. But we'll end the show here the last uh, 15, 20 minutes or so, answering a couple questions that we got here on the Discord and also on the chat here. We got, uh, let's answer this first one. A lot of them are coming from the same guy, DJ WVD. Love that he has all these questions for us. Um, he says, do you guys have any problems with AEW playing off of or including too much of what they did or I guess other wrestlers did outside of the company instead of just creating a wrestler from the ground up like WWE does a lot? even though they do it to a downfall a lot of times. I I like the fact that AEW kind of opens that fourth wall between what somebody did in other companies and what somebody did um, 
in in AEW. I, I I like the fact that at, at WWE, I think they build their wrestlers from the ground up, more so for the copyright. They can copyright somebody's name. So, for instance, um, when Maddie Renkowski just signed with NXT, she is a former uh, NWA tag team champion or ROH tag team champion, something like that. She she does a lot of work with Mission Pro Wrestling with Thunder Rosa, but she's going to have to change her name. She can't go by Maddie Renkowski um, because WWE is going to want to copyright and make money off of her name, and so they're going to have to build a new character with a new name. Same thing they did with um, someone like uh, Damian Priest. He was Punishment Martinez outside of the company. Um, and even even still, WWE kind of throws them subtle hints that they worked at outside of WWE at some point. Um, I think both companies have their reasons for doing it. And I think both, neither are wrong, neither are 100% correct. I like that AEW, though, allows us to know, like, hey, they used to be ROH champion at some point, or they used to be in New Japan champion or AAA champion, because it, it shows that there is an expertise factor. And, and while I may not know them, that they're well they're well versed in, in pro wrestling. They're not just some wannabe pro wrestler off the, off the street um, that somehow got an AEW contract. So, no, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a fan of the... Um, the in- inclusion of past uh, milestones. I'll keep it short and sweet. I absolutely agree. Uh, basically, you took all my talking points there. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And like you said, neither are wrong, neither are right when it comes to WWE building up their gra- their guys from the ground up, guys and gals, and uh, AEW kind of playing off of what they did outside the promotion. Um, Either company's right, either company's wrong. Both are are, are, are unique in doing so, cool for doing so. Um, it makes them different, and that's what's good is that they're both different. Um, yeah, no, I, I enjoy I, – I like when they do that. When WWE does it, to me, it, it, it creates a little more validity for that character or that wrestler. Not everybody needs it, certainly not. I don't think at WWE, when they're talking about Maddie Rinkowski, they don't need to say, well, she went by her real name and Mission for Wrestling right. and one day. They don't need to do that. But, um, you know, whenever AJ Styles debuted, they made sure to say, hey, this guy was a former NW, or IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Right. They really weren't working with TNA, so they didn't mention the TNA stuff. Um, but uh, it's cool when they do it for, for the right guys, but not everybody needs it. Um, and it's also cool to see them do it from the ground up. And, uh, and on hand, for a company like AEW, I feel sometimes it's necessary to do that. So that way it shows that the, the wrestler that's on TV is credible. Um, and for a company that's still young and, and it's infancy right. to, to say, hey, this guy is well-versed outside the promotion at NAAA or NJPW, MLW, ROH, whatever. Um, that this is a legit wrestler on the indies, a legit wrestler outside the company, we're bringing in a really good name type of thing and trying to show more validity for that character that they're showing on TV. And I think just one real last thing, something that just popped in my head. A good example of WWE actually just doing this here recently is with, uh, well, he now goes by Lexus King, but Brian Pillman Jr., the entire premise of him, his, his name being changed to Lexus King was he didn't want to follow in the footsteps of his father. So 
they introduced him as Brian Pillman Jr., that he was a Pillman, but he doesn't want to go by the Pillman name. So it wasn't like in your face, but it was it just, it was out there enough that you kind of know, okay, this guy's Brian Pillman's son. I kind of know who he is. Same thing with Braun Breaker. At one point, I think he went by um, something to do with the Steiners. Um, but at some point, they changed it to Braun Breaker. So I, I – um, yeah, I don't think either one is wrong. Either one is bad. Um, so let's let's move on to some of our Discord questions. Again, if you're here watching and you have anything you want us to answer here in the last 10 or 15 minutes or so, feel free to share it in the chat. We got a um, – does Daniel Garcia deserve a push over some of the other talents such as Ricky Starks and other people inside of his class or size range. Um, I think that's a tough Ricky question. Starks to has answer. a tag team championship right now, so he's already gotten the push. Right. Um, right. Starks even even feud against him right. summer of last year, so right. I think it's fair for Daniel Garcia to do. He's he's been with AEW for what almost two years now at this point. Went through mm. the whole thing with the with the JAS and got lost in the shuffle and. It, you got to shuffle the deck a little and, and, and create new stars and try to push guys to see what the crowd likes um, and right. just give other guys and get these. And, and I think you also got to take a look at it as if, yeah, Ricky Starks is currently the um, world champion, but his contract's almost up. And if there's anyone that I could be pretty certain is leaving AEW, it's Ricky Starks. I'm almost certain he's leaving AEW when his contract's up. And good for him. He, he fits the WWE style really well. Um, and, and good for Ricky Starks if he does leave and he gets the contract that he wants. I think that's kind of what AEW was built for, is to, uh, again, allow an opportunity for someone to make a name for themselves so that they can progress through um, and do what's best for their career. So even if Ricky leaves, I have no hard feelings. I wish he would drop the AEW belts. Oh, it's title belts because they're awful tag champions. Um, but anyways, I think this it's perfect time for Daniel Garcia to get this push. Like like was mentioned earlier, he, he kind of – he had a mini push when he first signed, then was kind of shuffled back a little bit into the mid card and the stable with Jericho. And now that he's kind of branching out and, and getting a, some sort of push here, uh, he's so good in the ring. He – He's only going to get better on, on the mic, so I, I don't I don't see it as an issue there. Um, let's see what's another one. Um, all right, AEW brought in two women who have made a name for themselves. I'm, I'm assuming he's referring to Diana Perazzo and Mariah May. Um, do you prefer him bringing in two lower name workers? Um, instead of just bringing in one big name like Sasha Banks, I think he's bringing in all three. Um, <laughs> that's just my opinion. Is he's getting uh, he's getting Mercedes Monet and Mariah May and Diana Perazzo and probably a couple other. And Tony Khan said he's going all in in the women's division and free agency. I I think um, you could see a lot of women in the future here be introduced which is why I think it's a good opportunity to create a women's continental classic this summer. Um, anything to add there? Was well, the question more so just um, 
bringing in two women like Mariah and Indiana versus Hush Banks or right. Just so, so okay. would you Wouldn't prefer space. him? I guess bringing in two women that I guess their talent combined equals the star power of like a Mercedes Monet. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think for your coming to AEW, um, as long as they get that TV time and they make room for the women in the, in the storylines. Um, oh, no. <laughs> this always happens when he talks. Um, hold on. Let's see if I can pop him back in here. Uh, I'll use this as a chance to uh, plug the website down here in the bottom junkyardmediagroup.com junkyardmediagroup.com hey he's back you were talking and then you left watch <laughs> the first t-shirt on the website is the uh, uh, and now your weekly internet watch sponsored by <laughs> it's, it's just going to be the logo <laughs> it's just going to be the logo uh, reconnecting or something <laughs> That's all we Buster. see on the screen. Reconnect. Network reconnect. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think it cut you off midway through where you were going with that women's whole thing. So, if you want to finish up, as long as they get the the, the time, the focal point, the and the storylines, and as long as all you know, if all three talent are in AW and they all three get the TV time as well as some of the other women, and we just try to make a big focal point of making women's storylines more of a thing and building characters and building wrestlers in the women's division for AEW in 2024, that's I could ask for. Perfect. We're, we got two more. The first one here is one that he mentioned in the comments. We'll show it here. Ever notice how AEW was made for the flippy-dippy, not WWE mold talent but all of their world champions are arguably WWE mold guys beside Hangman. I'm not a fan of this question, to be honest. Um, I'll let you answer, then I'll get my thoughts. The question again, just so I can read it again and make sure that I... Bring it back up. Okay, so... Isn't that the goal of AEW is to be an alternative and create alternative version of what the world champion should be or what their champion should be like? The WWE version of a world champion is this polished, perfect, built-up guy that just times looks too good from a just a wish, I wouldn't say wishy-washy, just very corporately based, structured person, wrestling, you know, wrestler-wise, promo-wise, wise, whatever. Um, when you're an alternative, you don't want to see former WWE guys always be the world champion. Yeah, Jericho was, and Moxley was, Punk was, um, but MJF, Hangman, those guys were, were not WWE's, um, and I think that you know you're going to start seeing a little bit more of those quote unquote AEW homegrown guys starting to get chances for world championships and hopefully winning them. Swerve, um, you know, down the road maybe we can um, award low things like um, I 
I think that in, in the beginning you had to give those guys the notoriety credibility to be the world to carry the company because to get AEW as a notice in, you're not going to put somebody like a hand, which the, the original, if I remember correctly, at All Out 2019, the first, not the first, one of the AEW pay-per-views, the, the first paper, the last paper they went to Dynamite before they went on mm-hmm. TV. Was Heyman versus Jericho for the first ever Correct. champion of, of the AEW World Title? I believe Heyman was going to win that match until they're like, you know, listen, we're getting on this TV deal to be the world champion to give this brand some notoriety and credibility, or else this is not going to look right. You can't have a nobody that nobody's really paid it to or heard of on a debut episode to uh, put him out as a world champion. That's why Kenny Omega world champion. Kenny Omega was a champion. He wasn't a WWE guy. Um. So yeah, roundabout way, you have to do it for sort of credibility and notoriety and exposure as casuals to watch the show. Hey, I know who Chris Jericho is. Let me tune in and see what's going on over here. Right. At the time, once you hopefully get a a good enough fan base, then you can really start pushing your homegrown guys, build them up, and then push them. Right. and I think my my question with this is pro wrestling like WWE has their style of wrestling they're more sports entertainment with a lot of focus on you know maybe not necessarily the in-ring work I, I guess I would have to have a definition of what he means by WWE mold guys like is, is he talking about someone that like would fit in the WWE system or and, and that notoriety people like Jericho and Moxley and then punk in a way where you know guys that fit the wwe system but i and like you said i think going forward now that aew has been around now five years i guess officially um as a company there is a little bit of notoriety with people like hangman people like swerve people like um that maybe fit the mold of wwe but they also fit the mold of aews i i think the 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 mold of a wrestler, like wrestling is wrestling. It doesn't matter if you go to some local house show and, and, and the boondocks of, you know, Asheville, North Carolina, or if you go to, you know, uh, Stanford, Connecticut, WWE, you know, wrestling is wrestling. The big guys are the big guys. The, the flippy guys are the flippy guys. You know, like wrestling is wrestling. I don't, I don't think it's fair to necessarily label it as a WWE mold um, because, I think there's a lot of mix between the molds of AEW and WWE and AAA and New Japan, and, and, and that's a good thing. It's it's one industry, and they do their things a little bit differently. They have their focuses on different things. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's a, a problem per se that their champions have all been guys that fit WWE system. Um, because it's a system that works. So why would, if it works, why would you want to change the system? And I guess that's where I would answer that question there. Um, got a question here asking if we wanted to comment on Chris Jericho rumors. I don't because there's not a whole lot to it. Um, Nick Houseman is a piece of shit who thinks he can just ruin somebody's name because of a Twitter beef. We'll leave it there. Uh, <laughs> um, and then the last question he wants a full breakdown on our thoughts of the devil reveal and the fallout of the devil. 
we kind of talked about the devil a little little bit. Um, I thought it was actually executed really well, given the fact that Adam Cole was on crutches um, and in a boot. Um, they the whole the whole segment from the very beginning of Adam Cole and MJF starting as this tag team, and then just the subtle things. Then the devil character starts growing. It was so obvious that it was Adam Cole that you didn't want to believe it was Adam Cole. And they were still, even up to the day of the pay-per-view when they announced who the devil character was, you know, there were rumors, well, Keith Lee got kicked out of the match. Maybe Keith Lee's the devil. Um, there, There were rumors that it was Britt Baker. There were rumors that it was just... A, a bajillion people and we couldn't we knew it was adam cole like i think subconsciously but we didn't want to believe it would be adam cole because of how great that tag team was um so in that aspect it left me speechless and that's hard to do in wrestling um and so i absolutely love the way that they executed the entire thing and i'm excited to see how they execute the story going forward yeah, I agree with that. I think that from a storyline perspective, you know, MJ era, Adam Cole, oh gosh, so many people. Adam Cole um, had There's his chances to kind of turn on. There, there, well, there are a lot of Adams. <laughs> uh, Adam Page, Adam Copeland, Adam Cole. Adam. Adam. Um, Cole had his, had a shot turn on MJF at all and, and teased it but he didn't pull the trigger, didn't fully do it. And then you thought maybe, okay, well, maybe a Grand Slam where Joe was facing MJF for the world title the first time that maybe that would happen. And it didn't. And then, of course, that's where Adam Cole kind of uh, broke the hell out of his ankle. Um, and I think if Adam Cole hadn't broke his ankle, it may have been a little different as far as the extension goes of it. But overall, I... I, I was okay with it being obvious that it was Adam Cole. I thought they did a good job of it with the unveiling of it. Uh, you know, like you said, subconsciously, I think we all pretty much Adam Cole, but some of the subtle things that they did was like, why would why would Adam Cole do that? Or why would he attack this person? Or why would they do this? Or um, just subtle little things like that that made you almost think, well, maybe it's somebody else. And then um, we get to the end of in and it's you know the undisputed kingdom and um from start to finish it was pretty it was the right time to unveil it it was starting to get not stale but it was starting to it's its course as far as the um who could it be subtle hands this and that um my biggest thing is that adam cole is on crutches and in that walk for another four to five months that this is a he can't have that and I'm not trying to say you need to rush the guy back by any means. It just doesn't make it as as believable, in my opinion, because you got the guy who is a wrestler who is now the devil of this, but yet he's on crutches. It's like, how am I supposed to believe this group when this guy can't even stand up? And yet he's got, I mean, it is a heel group. He's going to have his henchmen do his dirty work, whatever the case may be. But I, I need to see Adam Cole actually physically do stuff in the ring, physically uh, portray how this devil would be, in in real time as a wrestler, not just as a 
behind the scenes, all my henchmen does my dirty work for me. So that'll be the interesting point is in a couple months, hopefully when Cole fully heals from this, what happens and how this, uh, um, this storyline and this angle and this group go from here. Yeah, and I think that's where we will end this show. Junkyourmediagroup.com. Again, I'll plug that. Uh, that's where you can find all of the podcasts, both the Beyond the Junkyard and the Slapping Meat Wrestling podcast. We can see uh, the blog there. There's links to the social media pages. Again, I, I, I urge you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe on Apple Um podcast or spotify podcast um leave us a five-star review on apple podcast if if you if you use apple podcast that would be great um i don't know if you saw um but i put we posted on social media we ended the year of 2023 on podcharts.com listed inside the top 200 of wrestling podcasts i think that was pretty cool i think that's the first time that i've seen us chart um, in the last couple of weeks, uh, months or so. So it, that's great. It shows that, you know, people are interested in watching it when we're competing with like Vince Russo and JD, whatever on Twitter uh, and a bunch of these other Twitter influencers with a lot more followers than we do. Um, and we're, we're competing with those guys. It's pretty cool to see that. Um, and the only way we, we get higher and higher up the charts is if you guys help share the hell out of this and, 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 uh, and grow it with us and subscribe to the channel and, and share it and like it and give good reviews that way. Any bystanders can know that this is a good podcast of why we talk wrestling. Um, and you can find all of that on the drunkardmediagroup.com website. Um, if you know anybody that maybe wants to join the show, we'll talk a little bit, leave us an email at contact at junkyardmediagroup.com. We check that inbox occasionally, um, and uh, we'll be in touch with you at some point in the future. Before we sign that off, any last words? We, we we check the email every day, not occasionally. Occasionally, occasionally. <laughs> I, I can't promise you every day. You might not get a response. I, I have too many email boxes to be following up on between work and, and my personal stuff. <laughs> any final words before we we log off, my friend? Uh, Collision is going to be fun on Saturday night. It's going to be a rainy night in Charlotte, but it uh, should be a fun night of some good old pro wrestling action in the good old Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, pretty cool arena, Virginia's Coliseum, been around for forever, uh, hosted a bunch of wrestling shows over the years. So it uh, should be fun to watch and um, still amped up and excited. Uh, under two months now from Revolution, it's, it's going to be exciting. Very much looking forward to that show and that night. And um, yeah, I know that you and uh, We Too Deep have posted blogs on the website. I am in the process of posting one myself. Um, I think mm-hmm. may give a, a recap of uh, of uh, watching the Iron Claw over the past week. Uh, either that, or um, give a, a recap of the live experience of watching Collision on Saturday at the Bojangles Coliseum in Charlotte. So we. Uh, James already plugged it enough, but I'll give it one last little shot there. Uh, junkyardmediagroup.com. All the cool stuff is on there, the blogs, the podcasts, all that good stuff. You can uh, follow us on the social medias through that website, X, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, join the Discord. Uh, if you don't want to chat wrestling via video, 
uh, just like DJ Wavy D does. You can do the chat stuff on the YouTube live chat. You can do it in Discord. It's a cool way to interact with uh, wrestling fans. And um, we got all sorts of different tabs on that Discord, not just wrestling. Um, talk about anything sports-related, wrestling-related. It's a cool place to be, and it's fun to chat with other kind of commonality that we all just progress. And so join us. Uh, no pun intended with the Dark Order. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got. Perfect. I'll leave you with one final thought from our friend, uh, Mark Briscoe. If you don't listen to this podcast, I just got a few words for you. You must have bumped your fucking head, boy. (laughs) We'll see y'all next Thursday on the Beyond the Junkyard podcast.